0: Please open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I believe there's no more glorious truth in all the Bible than the words recorded for us here in verse 10 of our text this morning, spoken by the Lord Jesus, who said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, that which was lost. And Folks, those, that wonderful verse of scripture really sums up the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior. And those 16 words in the New King James translation, in a way, of the English translation of that verse describe the very reason that Jesus came to this world 2,000 years ago. When we study the life of Christ and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we soon find that he did many, many amazing things, of course. Uh, Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding feast. He calmed mighty storms with just a word. All he had to do was say, peace, be still, and the wind and the waves would cease. He walked on water, barely got his feet wet. He transformed the little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish into a feast that fed uh, thousands of hungry people. He healed the sick, many of them. He, he healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He even raised the dead. And Jesus did all those things and so much more. So much more, in fact, that John in his gospel in John 21:25 says that if all the things that Jesus did and said were written down and recorded one by one, even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, Jesus did many, many miraculous things, but that's not why He came. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and aren't you glad that he did? Well, our scripture text this morning contains one of the, the best known stories in the entire Bible, I'm sure. It kind of ranks right up there in terms of familiarity with, with uh, Noah and the ark and the great flood. And with David and Goliath. And, of course, Christ's birth and his death and resurrection. And those great uh, stories of the Bible. And every child who's ever attended Sunday school for any length of time has heard this wonderful story we're about to read and, of course, learned to sing the little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. That's enough. (laughs) You know the song, so there you go. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we have a tendency to take those stories that we're so familiar with that we learned as children and think of them as children's stories and nothing more. But nothing could be further from the truth. For this familiar Bible story is so much more than the simple tale of a short man in a sycamore tree. It's a beautiful picture of the soul-saving, life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Now the first thing we see in our in our Bible text this morning is a picture, the picture of a searching sinner. A picture of a searching sinner. Please look at verse 1 with me. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now just a word about Jericho. Jericho is uh, located about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem and some five miles to the west of the Jordan River. It's one of the oldest cities on earth, having been continuously inhabited for at least 5,000 years and maybe a little more. Now 20 centuries ago, in the time of Jesus, uh, there's a a picture of modern Jericho, but 20 centuries ago, Jericho was known as an especially beautiful city City filled with with fragrant balsam trees. I've never been around to balsam trees, but they produce this wonderful fragrance and rose gardens all over the city. And the combination of deep, rich soil and abundant spring-fed water and sunshine and warm temperatures year-round made Jericho a very attractive place to live. And it was kind of a resort area for the rich and powerful at that time. King Herod, who was the, most, was the wealthiest and most powerful man in that, at that time in that area, built his winter palace near Jericho. You can see the remains of it even today. Well, Luke tells us in verse 1 that Jesus was, was passing through Jericho. He wasn't going to stay there very long. It was a, he had a, an important job to do. In fact, the very reason he came to the earth, to the world, was to complete the work that his father had given him. And he was on his way, going through Jericho, on his way up to Jerusalem, where he had some important business to attend to. And what was that business? Well, he was on his way up to the city of God, where he would sacrifice his life on the cross to atone for our sins. And on his way up to the cross, Jesus met a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now look at verse two. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, ironically, as a side note, Zacchaeus' name means righteous one. And as we we see in our text this morning, he was anything but a righteous one. Well, he was a tax collector, Luke tells us, or a publican. As sometimes that we refer to as, uh, you could say that he worked for the R R S. You know the I R S. Well, Zacchaeus worked for the R R S, the Rome Revenue Service, and his job was to collect taxes in Israel on behalf of the Roman government. Now, at that time, Rome had divided the nation of Israel into three tax districts, and in every tax district there was a tax office. There was a tax office in the north, up on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee in the city of Capernaum. There was another tax office over on the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima, And there was a tax office down in Jericho. And these tax offices were franchises, if you were, were auctioned off and sold to the highest bidder. They were very lucrative. And the winners... But these auctions became then the official tax collectors for the Roman government. And this is how it worked. Rome told each of these tax collectors or tax revenue agents who had won the bid for, to collect taxes in their particular district, they told them how much money that they expected to receive from their district. This is how much money you have to send on to Rome. But whatever revenue a tax agent could, could squeeze out of the citizens in their district above the amount required by Rome was theirs to keep. And as you can imagine, it made them very wealthy. And all of them, as far as I know, took full advantage of that system. And you can understand then why tax collectors were so despised Uh, Not just by the general citizenry, of course, but since these tax collectors were Jews themselves, they were especially despised by their fellow Jews. Not just because they were collecting taxes from them, and who likes to pay taxes? But they were despised because they considered these tax collectors traitors who had sold out to the Roman occupiers of their land. And that's what the citizens of Jericho thought about this man, Zacchaeus. Well, we learned something else about Zacchaeus in verse 2. Luke tells us that he was a chief tax collector. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that Zacchaeus was the, as if you, the head of all the tax collectors in his assigned region. So basically, those who would win uh, the tax franchise would then hire a bunch of low-level revenue agents to go out and collect taxes for them, and they would get a cut of everything those low-level revenue agents would collect. And it made them very wealthy men. And so it was Zacchaeus, and Luke tells us he was very rich. No doubt, Zacchaeus had everything money could buy. And yet, there was something missing in his life, something that money could not buy. And despite his immense financial success, Zacchaeus was an empty, dissatisfied man, desperately searching for something that all of his wealth could not purchase. And what was he searching for? Well, I think he was searching for the same thing all of us long for and all of us are searching for. He was searching for peace. Peace in his heart. Peace in his soul. Peace with God. Zacchaeus probably lived in a, in a large, multi-room, palatial house with many servants and a, and a pool and surrounded by beautiful gardens and maybe an attached three-chariot garage or something like that. <laughs> no doubt he wore the finest clothing that money could buy, ate the finest food that was available, But his prosperity, all his prosperity, had not brought him a one moment's peace. I think Zacchaeus was also searching for something else. He was searching for purpose in his life. Now, he had all the outward signs of success, to be sure. But he was empty on the inside. I can imagine there were times when he would check his ever-growing bank account. And look around at all the things that he owned. And then thought to himself. There must be more to life than this. Well there is. (laughs) There's much more to life than that. Jesus said. I have come that you may have life. Eternal life. And have life more abundantly. Now I don't know about you. But that's what I want. I think that's what every human being wants. I want the kind of life that only Jesus can give, that is life eternal and life abundant, a life filled with hope and love and peace and joy, and only Christ can give that. And that's what Zacchaeus was searching for. Now, verse 3 tells us that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was. Evidently, uh, Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus in that day and time and place, it would have been Practically impossible not to have heard about Jesus. The Lord's fame had spread far and wide. The Bible tells us in Luke 4:37 that the reports about him went out into every place in the, in the region. Everyone had heard about, Zac, about Jesus. And Zacchaeus had heard about him, about what he had taught, and that maybe he was the Messiah, and he wanted to see Jesus. He was determined to do whatever it took to see this Jesus he'd heard so much about. However, there were a couple of obstacles he had to overcome. First, there was the crowd. And it was a big crowd. Uh, Verse 3 says that he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. And uh, the city of Jericho was was known as the City of Palms, and you read about that in the Bible, in fact, referred to it in that way. And those, those palm-lined streets of Jericho were teeming with people. The city was filled with people. Now, Some of them may have been traveling with the Lord Jesus, His disciples would have been along with Him, and typically there was a, a small entourage of other people and, and followers of Christ who would be with Him. But the city was the vast majority of people who had packed the city of Jericho were people from Jericho and the surrounding region who had heard that Jesus was passing this way and they wanted to see him and hear from him themselves. So there was a crowd that was literally keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. But that wasn't the only obstacle he faced. For notice verse 3 goes on to say, that Zacchaeus was of short stature. To put it another way, he was vertically challenged. And I can relate to that. <laughs> Zacchaeus's height, or, or the lack of it, was a hindrance to him. He simply wasn't tall enough to see over that great crowd of people. So for Zacchaeus, it was the crowd in Jericho that stood between him and Jesus. But let me ask you something. What's standing between you and the Savior right now? What's keeping you from giving your heart and life to Christ? Maybe it's the crowd you're running with. I don't know. And this isn't just to a certain age in life. Now, when we're younger, certainly peer pressure has a much greater influence on us, but we never fully get over it. We want to please the people we're around. We want their, we, we want their um, assurance. We want to feel like we belong. Maybe it's, maybe it's the crowd you're running with, your family maybe even, or friends, or classmates, or people you work with, and you're afraid what they might say if you become a Christian. Let me just say to you, you you better be more concerned about what the Lord might say about you on the day of judgment than what anybody else might say about you. Maybe it's your pride that's keeping you from Christ. You're simply too proud to admit you need a Savior. You say, well, Christianity is fine for folks who need that sort of thing, but not me. No, I I don't need that crutch Listen, please, please don't let your foolish, sinful pride keep you from Jesus. It's not worth the price, I'm telling you. Maybe it's your religion or your church affiliation that's keeping you from Christ. You say, well, what do you mean by that, Brother Bob? Brother Bob, I'll have you know, I come from a long line of very religious people. Well, my father was a deacon. My grandfather was a deacon too. My family has been a part of of such and such church. First Baptist Church, Moberly, whatever church. My family has been a part of that church for generations, for many years. I'm a member of the church. I was baptized as a child. I almost remember it. Listen. If, if that's, that's a wonderful thing, if that's your testimony and your family heritage, you ought to thank God for it. I mean that with all seriousness. But hear me now. Being a part of a church, I don't care what church it may be, being religious won't make you right with God. Joining the church won't save your soul. And the tragic truth is, Hell will be thick with people who thought their church membership would make them a citizen of heaven and a child of God. Don't you be one of them. And may I add, being baptized won't save you either. You can be baptized so many times your skin begins to shrivel up and look like a raisin and still be lost and headed for hell. Listen, if you're not saved before you get into the baptistry, you're not going to be saved when you get out. You'll just go in a a, a dry center and come out a wet one, but you'll still be lost in sin. The question is, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, despite the obstacles that he faced... Zacchaeus was determined to see Jesus. Look at verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, as I've said before, I, I hope that when you read the Bible, you do so with an imagination. I don't mean adding to what you've read, but that you read the Bible and you can see it in your mind's eye, if you will, what you're reading. What a curious scene this must have been. Now, it's not hard to imagine a, a young boy climbing up in a tree. Boys like to do that, and some girls too. When we were in Israel, I remember the first time, I think it was, and, and uh, we drove over to, it's a place that's on the Mount of Olives, and you look across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount. It's a great spot to see the, 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 the old city of Jerusalem. And we pulled up on our tour bus. And I noticed all these kids climbing up into these olive trees. And I thought, what are they doing? Well, I soon found out. Every time a tour bus would come, would drive in, they would climb up in the tree and strip off the leaves and then try to sell them to you. I kid you not. <laughs> like, I, can, I can pull a leaf off the tree myself. I don't need to pay a kid for that. But, you know, I used to like to drive, uh, climb up into trees. For a long time now, I prefer to keep, keep my feet on firm, firm ground, don't you? But, but we could imagine, it wouldn't be hard to imagine, it wouldn't be a curious sight at all to see a boy climb up into a tree, see how I could go. But not a grown man in his good clothes. But that's what happened here. That's exactly what Zacchaeus did. And listen, he didn't care what it looked like or what anybody thought about it. Because, you see, he just had to see Jesus. That was the only thing that mattered to Zacchaeus at that moment in his life. Well, not only do we see here a a picture of a desperately searching sinner, but we also see a picture of the seeking Savior. Now, verse 1 says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. And I I go back to that verse just to, to tell you this. It wasn't, Jesus didn't just happen to pass through Jericho that day. It was an act of divine providence. He had a purpose for going there. And it wasn't to, to savor the scenery or to enjoy the wonderful weather in Jericho. No, Jesus was on a mission from heaven to seek and to save a sinner by the name of Zacchaeus. And folks, long before Jesus entered Jericho and walked beneath the sycamore tree, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was at work in Zacchaeus' life. You see, how do you know that, Brother Bob? Well, the very fact that Zacchaeus made the effort, and it was no small effort, I tell you, made the effort to make his way fight his way through a a large and hostile crowd and climb up into that tree just so we could see Jesus was evidence that the Spirit of God was working in his heart. Now look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Now think about that for a moment. Again, imagine the scene. Jesus came to the very city where Zacchaeus lived. He walked beneath the very tree Zacchaeus had climbed up in. And there were many, many trees in Jericho. And then he looked up at the very branch where Zacchaeus was sitting. And he saw him. I mean, he really saw Zacchaeus. It wasn't any kind of a, you know, just kind of a a passing Glance. When Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he looked at him with what must have felt like to Zacchaeus a penetrating gaze. Hebrews four thirteen says, "All things are laid bare and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." All things. Jesus sees every single one of us. And he knows everything about us. Everything. And yet, (laughs) he still loves us. Isn't that an amazing thing? If you knew everything about me, you you wouldn't listen to me this morning, let alone love me. And if I knew everything about you... (laughs) I wouldn't waste my time preaching. (laughs) And I'd have a hard time loving you. But God knows, a holy God, knows everything about you and me. In fact, He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He still loves us. Amazing love. How can it be? Praise God. But look again at verse 5. But Jesus looked up into the tree... And he saw Zacchaeus up there and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste, hurry up, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name they'd never met before. But Jesus already knew his name. Now do you suppose Zacchaeus was a, a little surprised when Jesus called him By name. I don't think he could have been any more surprised if the tree had spoken to him and called him by name. You know, Zacchaeus wanted to be inconspicuous. He climbed up in the tree, thought he was hidden among the limbs and leaves where no one would notice. Then Jesus stopped right where he was, looked up. And called him by name. Did you know that the Lord knows you by name? That's right. Listen, you're so special to him that he knows exactly who you are. Loves you just as you are. And he calls you by name. And you know what he's calling you, what he's saying to you right now? I would be saying to you the same thing he said to Zacchaeus that day. Come. Come to me. Trust me. And be saved. That's his call. If you'll come to Jesus today and uh, repent of your sins, and that simply means to turn from your sins, confess to God you're a sinner. Listen, all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned and just admit that to God. Say, Lord, I've sinned. I confess my sin. Ask him to forgive you and place your faith in Jesus and trust him. Trust Christ and Christ alone to save you. You will be saved. In a moment, right here today, in a moment, Christ will change your life forever. But listen, you have to come to him. And that's what Zacchaeus did. Which brings us then to the third and final picture in our text this morning. Not only do we see a picture of a searching sinner and the seeking Savior? But praise God, we also see a picture here of a gloriously saved soul. Now, as most of you know, those of you that have been members of the church for some time know, uh, I'm a big Western movie fan. Andy Griffith and old western movies. And one of the reasons I I like uh, old western movies so much, especially if John Wayne is in them, (laughs) is because they always seem to have a happy ending. Have you noticed that? The good guys always win. The damsel in distress is always rescued and just in the nick of time, of course. The hero always vanquishes the villain and then rides off triumphantly into the sunset. I like that. I like happy endings. That's why I'll never watch Old Yeller a second time. <laughs> well, this wonderful story of a desperately searching sinner meeting the, the gracious, seeking Savior has a happy Ending. Look at verse 6. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Folks, it may have been a curiosity on, on, on a certain level and, and certainly desperation that led Zacchaeus to climb up into that tree. But I want to tell you it was the call of the Savior himself and the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God that got him down from that tree. Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down. He came down much faster than he went up, I'm sure of that. He hurriedly climbed down from the tree and joyfully received Jesus into his home. Now notice the response of the crowd in verse 7. They were so excited and happy. (laughs) But when the crowd saw it, they all complained. Must have been a bunch of Baptists, that's all I know. (laughs) They all complained saying, He, that is Jesus, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a what? Sinner. The crowd couldn't believe their eyes. It couldn't be what they were seeing. They watched Jesus walk into the house of a tax collector. It was absolutely scandalous why no self-respecting Jew would ever defile himself by entering the house of someone like Zacchaeus. I mean, didn't Jesus know what kind of a man he was? He was a sinner. <laughs> now, Jesus knew that. That's why he went to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus was on a mission to to save sinners like Zacchaeus and like you and me. And the truth is, there wasn't a house in all of Jericho or, or Samaria or Judea or all of Israel for that matter where there weren't sinners. You don't have to look far to find a sinner, just look in the mirror. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. No exceptions. We've all broken the commandments of God. How many commandments do you have to break to be a sinner? One. How many times do you have to break a commandment to be a sinner? One time. We've all sinned. And that's why we need a Savior. Well, Zacchaeus didn't just receive Jesus into his house. More importantly, he received the Savior in his heart and life that day. You say, well, how do you know that, Brother Bob? It doesn't say so, really. Well, two reasons. One, because of the transformation we see in Zacchaeus' life. Look at verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I, if there's any question about it, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. I want to tell you something. Before he met Jesus, old Zacchaeus would have choked on those words. No way. It would have been completely out of character for the man he used to be. But here's the thing. He wasn't the same man he used to be. He was a new man. A new man in Christ. A new man in Christ. Let me point out something very quickly before we move on. When when Zacchaeus said, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor... If I've taken anything by deceit or fraud, I'm going to, I'll restore to them fourfold. He wasn't trying to buy his salvation, all right? You can't buy salvation. It's not for sale. If it was for sale, we couldn't afford it. Nor was he trying to earn favor with the Savior. By showing him how generous he was. What a good man he was. No amount of good works will ever save your soul either. So why then did Zacchaeus tell Jesus he was going to give half of what he owned to the poor and and restore anything he had taken by fraud or deceit four times over, which was more than the law demanded? Well, I'll tell you why. He said that because Zacchaeus was a changed man. The old, selfish, sinful, greedy sinner that he was had become a new, generous child of God. Listen, folks, genuine saving faith always changes you. It doesn't just change your eternal destiny. Praise God it does that. If you know Christ, you're born again. You can know for sure you have a home in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But genuine saving faith doesn't just change your eternal destiny. It changes you. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. All things are past. All, behold, all things have become new. I've shared this little adage with you before, but it's, it's so appropriate. Pardon the English, but it's, it's, it so describes it. An old preacher put it this way. If you is what you was, you ain't. A Christian, that is. Last, last Sunday, I preached in Shelbyville, for my good friend John Gorham, and John was only someone I sang with in the quartet, and he's a pastor, but he also taught English. (laughs) And so I'm glad he wasn't there to hear me say that, because I think he would have cringed at that statement. Dear one, if your profession of faith hasn't changed your life, if you're you're still the same person you've always been, I don't know your soul, but I'm going to just tell you it's unlikely you've ever been born again. Well, Here's the second reason we can be sure Zacchaeus was saved that day because Jesus said so. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also was a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have a feeling that Old sycamore tree there in Jericho became a very, very special place to Zacchaeus, don't you? And I can imagine through the years that that the old Zacchaeus, as he grew older, might have sat on that old tree. Maybe whittled a little bit, I don't know. And people would pass by, and they'd see Zacchaeus sitting there day after day. And every once in a while, someone would say, Zacchaeus, what do you sit here under this old tree, this sycamore tree, every day? And Zacchaeus might have replied something like this. I'm so glad you (laughs) asked. Oh, let me tell you, this is a very special place. You see, it was right here beneath the branches of this old sycamore tree that I met the Savior, and my life has never been the same Hallelujah. Have you met the Savior? He's passing this way. He's here right now. And if you'll turn to Him in faith, trust Him as your Savior, He'll do for you what He did for Zacchaeus. He will save your soul, make you a child of heaven, and change your life forever. The old hymn, we're going to say it in just a moment, reminds us of this. It goes like this, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, Hear my humble cry, While on others Thou art Calling, do not pass me by. When well, Jesus is passing this way. He'll not pass you by if you call on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word for us this day. I want to pray right now, Father, for those who are here in this service right now. You brought them here today to hear this message because you love them. There are those in this service who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. Maybe they joined a church at some time. Maybe they were baptized. Perhaps they've thought that because they grew up in a Christian home and went to church, that made them a Christian. But they realize today, because your, your word and your spirit has shown them the truth, they're still sinners, and they still need a Savior. And so I pray, Lord, as we stand together and sing this concluding hymn, that they would, your spirit would prompt them to just step up wherever they are and come down here and meet me, I'll meet them right here in front of the altar. And when I ask them why they've come, that your spirit would lead them to say, I've come today because I want to accept Jesus as my savior. I don't want Jesus to pass by again. Lord, may your will be done in each of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray.